Hi there, it's your Value Through Vulnerability host, Gary Turner here. I had the absolute pleasure of welcoming Rehenna Begum onto the podcast today. She's an inclusive system leadership and OD specialist um, working within the healthcare sector. And I have to say, I was absolutely amazed and bowled over by Rehenna's openness, her challenge, her willingness to debate in a really positive way. And Rehenna and I have only met recently via a call out on Twitter to... Um, to have more diverse thoughts onto the podcast. And I was not disappointed um, with Rihanna coming onto the podcast, just a couple of the intros um, for me that, that I took away. So one of the things that, that she asks is, what are we here to do as organizations? Who are we doing it for? And do indeed organizations and their leadership ask this enough? It's a really important point. You know, we're so often living these busy lives. Many of them are in the commercial sector, just trying to hit the numbers in other different sectors, we're just in the rat race of, or the hamster wheel of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I really love that reflection. Um, what are we here to do and who are we doing it for? Also, one of my questions to, to Rihanna was around, if we look at the healthcare sector, you know, is there a problem with staffing or is it more a, a challenge of the mindset of those leading um, these particular organizations? And I really enjoyed Rihanna's reflection here, which was, we can do a lot more with what we already have. We probably don't realize how much of what we already have and it really made me think about you know these um, gig economy apps uh, the likes of airbnb and uber where they're tapping into the spare capacity um of stuff that's already available and it just just really made me reflect you know what if there was some sort of transparent app within your own organization where there was the trust and the um, psychological safety to be able to say hey i've now got spare capacity i want to make a difference in this organization um you know where do you want where do you want me to go to next how cool would that be to have an internal version of, um, of, of a gig app so that every, it provided, of course, the culture, the purpose, and the, uh, the meaning was there for people? Anyway, there's a couple of uh, early reflections for me, and uh, please do dive in. It's a really brilliant um, podcast, this, um, not because of me, but because of Rihanna, and it's just a really positive challenge and a really good debate around um, inclusion at a time when we need it most. Thank you. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. This afternoon, I'm really grateful to welcome Rihanna Begum. Hi, Rihanna. Hiya. How are you? I'm all right, thanks, Gary. Lovely. Well, look, thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. Um, mm -hmm. I have to say thank you to the Twitterverse as well, because I put out a public plea for, for uh, people to come onto the podcast to sort of challenge it a little bit around some different areas like sort of inclusion, OD, you know, sort of discussing some of the, the more personal challenges of the moment. And I'm really grateful you reached out for that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for actually going out there. Brilliant. Well, look, as we get going, would you mind giving us some introduction to those that may not know you listening to this podcast? So who, who are you? What's your background and what you're really passionate about? Uh, okay, so um, as you've introduced me, Gary, my name is Rehenna Begum. I have worked in the NHS. It's coming up to 10 years next year in February, which blows my mind. <laughs> um, and prior to that, I've uh, been working in the public sector uh, around um, young people services. Very much um, started off as a traditional HR specialist, um, 
transactional, so grievance, disciplinary, payroll, such employment law, very much, very quickly um, figured out that actually my passion laid uh, in more transformational kind of organisational development and it's the people side of things that really kind of rocked my boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, the connecting with the people, developing others, looking at stuff like talent management, organisational development, naturally with my own background um, being a black asian minority ethnic underrepresented group um, and being a woman uh, being a carer being a, a mum i naturally drew to the inclusion field um, and that's kind of where i'm at at the moment in my current role uh, i work in leadership development within the nhs and it's where I try to truly embed inclusion in everything we do, especially around leadership development. Oh, brilliant. So, so would, you, would, would you say that, you know, to, you know, from your background as well, it sort of sounds like as well as a sort of work passion, it's very much a personal passion. Would that be a fair, fair thing to, to say? I would say so. And um, I would say more so since um, having a little one, so more mm-hmm. so since becoming a mum myself, um, it's really kind of fired up that kind of, well, what, what are we here to do? Um, and who are we doing this for? Um, and challenging ourselves as well. Um, especially as I've realised working through the ranks of one of the biggest public sector organisations being the NHS, one of the biggest employers, I've realised the further up you go, the, the more, more of a struggle it is to get the inclusion voice heard or probably understood might be the better thing to say there. And I think we're in an exciting phase at the moment, Gary, where we are talking more openly about inclusion and what that means to people and and when I talk about inclusion um, I use the word inclusion rather than equality and diversity because there's different definitions people regard equality as something diversity as something else inclusion as something else and um, very much I talk about inclusion as not just identifying people from different groups or identifying that we need to work more collaboratively or cohesively, but actually what we're doing to make sure uh, our services are inclusive, our leadership is inclusive, the way we communicate with one another is inclusive, how our commissioning is um, inclusive. Um, So not just making sure people from underrepresented groups are being heard, but actually why do we need to even think about why they shouldn't be heard, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Actually, you've taken a sort of one of the questions off my, off the edge of my tongue, actually, uh, <laughs> to, to be honest, which is, you know, what, what are you seeing sort of, you know, what are the biggest barriers, in your opinion, to, to those conversations happening? Is it people don't think they have the time? Is it fear to have a difficult conversation? What, what do you say are the common themes that you come across most often? You don't have to be specific, but just generally, what are those most common yeah. themes? I would say, especially since recently we started talking about privilege quite a lot and um, the, the term white privilege, there's a, there's a massive fear around um, talking about, you know, difficult inclusion related topics, talking about stuff like privilege and it might be white privilege. Um, there's also a confidence. Um, interestingly, I was in a meeting um, just last week where I was talking to some of my peers um, about around the inclusion agenda and someone said to me well I wouldn't be as confident having that conversation Rahena and I'd be like well why is that they're like well I'm not vain 
and being being black asian minority ethnic um and i was like i would like to think that being able to speak around the inclusion agenda doesn't mean you have to be from an underrepresented group because actually that defeats the object yeah i think you know this is something you know and i'm really grateful for you joining me today because you know part of my deliberate journey with this pod podcast as as you're aware um, Rihanna is just around you know, inclusion is a big part awareness vulnerability and, and mindset as well and I think yeah. you know, you're striking you're striking right to the heart of me right now you know we had a, a chat in our sort of chemistry chat um, before before we agreed to do this this conversation and you know white privilege for me is something really new which yeah. is, is it embarrassing I wouldn't say it's embarrassing it's sort of a shame that it's yeah. taken me 41 years to realize that actually my my lovely little paradigm in my head that everyone enters the word equal which I genuinely yeah. believe to be the truth about 12 months ago well even probably this year actually to be honest and i'm still coming to terms with it but i accept it and you know you and i speaking now i hope is helpful for some listeners that you know we can have these conversations it does mean we both need to be vulnerable it does mean we both want to listen and i think mm. we're prepared to do that we can move the dial can't we yes i mean also i suppose sometimes people would challenge me um, around inclusion and um, certainly in the Greater Manchester what we're looking at is race equality and there seems to be a big focus on race equality within the public sector at the moment nationally as well as regionally and I get challenged all the time saying well why are we just focusing on race equality and um, and it's rightful to rightfully placed to be challenged and I welcome that challenge because I think one of the things that we we don't think about is we have been talking about equality and diversity for decades for a very very long time i work with edni leads edni being equality diversity and inclusion leads who are just fatigued we're talking about inclusion because there's no traction there's no movement and in fact we're going backwards with some of the figures um around race um certainly and it's uh, made me realize if we can affect some change with um, utilizing the momentum we currently have, whether that's a national focus or regional focus around one group of underrepresented people being race equality, then that can only mean better um, moving forward for all groups, really. I mean, some figures that have recently come out via the Workforce Race Equality Standards, the RES data, shows that organizations that have improved around race equality actually improve around all staff groups. And it's, that is the question. So I, I in turn challenge those people back and I say, instead of actually asking me why we focus on race equality, I would rather you ask me, why are we not focusing more on inclusion in, you know, as, as a whole in terms of, I find it interesting when people get really defensive about focusing on one key area. If we haven't made traction in decades around equality and diversity and then someone says okay this might be too big a pie to tackle in one go because we're not making any traction let's focus on one area build on the learning from that area try to move forward around that area and hopefully that will have a knock-on effect with the other groups and then start focusing on another area you know piece by piece bite size why is it such a problem and it's almost like people like hiding behind that question and saying oh no 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 let's not focus on race equality because that's just looking at because the other interesting thing gary is about intersectionality now that's a term that's re recently come out but actually intersectionality as a as a concept been around forever so yes i might be bane but i'm actually also a woman i'm actually also a carer i'm actually also a mother 
So actually just looking at me and think of me as BAME actually defeats um, the object of inclusion really. I mean, when, I, when people challenge me around the race equality agenda, again, I ask them, are you saying there's no BAME people who are disabled? Are you saying there's no BAME people who are LGBT? So, so it's interesting how sometimes people like to hide behind their kind of um, almost annoyance that we are focusing on one area. My challenge back is, well, we haven't made any changes in the last few decades focusing on all areas. Let's focus on one area and utilize the momentum that's currently going to see if we can affect change. Okay. I, Sorry, go on. I think I think that's really, it's really, really, really powerful. Really, really powerful for, for me to hear you say that. And I think, you know, what I think I think what's fascinating for me is, you know, it almost seems to come back to a point you was making earlier on, um, Rehenna, is why don't we, why don't we just start with human first and mm. work back from there? You know, it, it, I know I might be being really simple, and I can be simple at times, but how, how difficult would it actually be just to see each other as human beings, as this single, genuinely connected human race because that's the only race i think most people see is a human mm. race and that's what we all are you know, mm. you know it's I, I don't know i just sometimes it baffles me that we put so much energy into coming away from being just human mm. and i suppose one of the things because again i was actually um talking to another so in my current role, I work in a regional space, but we do meet up as regional inclusion leads in a kind of uh, nationally. And um, one of my colleagues in, in that kind of group said to me, well, it's all about being human, Mahana. We don't need to focus in one area. It's all about, it's just being compassionate human beings. And I say, and again, once again, I said, we can talk about being compassionate for the human beings, but that's not affecting any change. We're still having the issues we're having. Mm. So going beyond wanting to believe we're compassionate human beings, something is not working. So we need to be a bit more directive. We need to be a bit more challenging. We need to be a bit more braver. My, um, my brother-in-law is actually white. And um, it was interesting because uh, a couple of weekends ago, we were camping and um, he was asking me about work which I think he finds, he, he works in the police. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so it's interesting when we talk about our jobs because he, he has no idea what I do. I think he tries to nod along and understand, but he, he doesn't have a clue. So I was talking to him very naturally because I'm in that kind of inclusion world all the time. I very naturally got into the language of white privilege and privilege. And he just went really quiet, Gary. And I was like, oh, um, are you okay, um, Andrew? And he, he was like, um, yeah, I just, I never thought of it that way kind of thing. And it was almost like, I need to be careful how I talk to people who might not be familiar with the terms white privilege, because it can come across like I'm trying to insult them in some way. Now, I've got a good relationship with my brother-in-law, so he knows I don't mean it in a kind of insulting way at all. But it's interesting how people can become quite defensive sometimes when you talk about the concepts of privilege. Because likewise, I try to explain that, yeah, I'm privileged. I'm a second generation immigrant. I've got privileges that my parents didn't have. Likewise, my daughter will have privileges that I don't have or I didn't have. Um, privilege doesn't necessarily mean it's just like white privilege in the terms of um, race equality agenda. We all have our own privileges, but what we need to be more aware of is actually what privileges do I have and how can I make sure, 
how can I impact that on the around the inclusion agenda, making sure I recognize my privilege and I support those that might not have that privilege. Just out of interest in this, in this space um, for you, what's the what, what's inspiring you the most right now in terms of what you're seeing you know you, you mentioned about the sort of race equality agenda there seems to be some traction there which is good is, mm. there, is there anything else that you're seeing or you're sensing or you're you're even part of or you're thinking yeah this is really positive i can feel that there's some change coming is there anything you're sensing right now well um one of the things I've, I've recognized, so in my, in my very limited spare time, Gary, um, I, I work with secondary schools as an enterprise advisor. So what that basically means is working with senior leaders in the education sector who make our young people more life ready and work ready. So um, I'm quite passionate about that education agenda because I left school at the age of 16 and I went straight into work and it was like a, it was like a completely different world to me, completely different. So in school, I was taught about like, you know, algebra and stuff, but I wasn't told how to budget. I didn't know what my wage slip looked like. Um, I, in, in English, I did stuff like English literature, Macbeth, but I wasn't taught how to do a CV or an application. So one of the things I'm quite um, passionate about is making sure the new generation, our young people are ready for the working world or for life in general. Now, the reason why, um, that really appeals to me is because yes, I started off as a 16 year old apprentice at a time where apprenticeship, and it still is viewed as like a secondary thing to formal education, like A-levels. Now, if we bring that into the space of social class and inclusion area, um, very much it's seen as people who are affluent and academic go on to do higher education, especially with the changes in you know, student loans and so forth. And how we can make education accessible to all is so important because education can be the door that opens up, you know, opportunities. But one of the things that we don't do, Gary, in the education sector is talk about these important things around inclusion or have those kind of conversations at a very young age. Um, we have religious education, but let's be honest, that's not even talking about inclusion. Um, but actually, are we, are we talking about inclusion too late uh, when people are already have a set mind? Um, so it's almost like trying to work with people who've already decided this is the way I am, this is the way I'm going to be. Why are we not talking to the younger generation about this sort of agenda? Why are we not, talk, why are we not educating them around these important topics that become an issue later on in life? So what I'm trying to do is in any work that I do, whether that's working as an enterprise advisor, that whether that's the mentoring I do with young people who are not in education training or employment, whether that's the work I do with, within leadership or organizational development, I really try to bring in that kind of inclusion kind of perspective and think, you know, to even if I get someone just to consider a different way of looking at things, I think that's a success. It's the reflection that's going to affect the change, not what I tell people to do. No, that's that's that's, that's really powerful as well. I'm, it's interesting here you talk about you being an enterprise advisor, um, Rihanna, because I'm also one as well, actually, down here. In, in oh, fantastic! Yeah, so so now I, I totally share your passion for trying to, yeah, let, let's equal, let's call it equalize the education system because you know I've even got you know I've got family, I've got friends that still do see you know even though you get these masters apprentice level seven apprenticeship now is equivalent to a master's i believe yeah 
and but there's, there's still this really negative perception isn't there around around yeah. at the moment yeah so already if we if we use that just as a specific example uh you have two people that come uh, for a job someone who's probably got a master's level qualification by uh, the university but no experience then you've got someone else who's done work-based learning has developed uh, experience has got a, a equivalent level qualification and they still viewed it negatively then how are we being equal or how are we being inclusive of people's different way of learning mm -hmm. um, my brother has dyslexia and he really struggled academically but he is the only one in the family that could strip apart the entire house and put it back together and I'm, I'm talking about electrical plumbing everything I think he's the one of the most amazing people I've ever seen but because he's lived through the education system, he will never ever view himself as being a talented, you know, amazing person that I see him as just because he didn't academically succeed, which I think is quite sad, really, because as an education, well, as HR um, learning and development specialist, we're very much taught to talk about people's different learning styles. But actually, it's not a conversation we even talk about at school. We talk about stuff like um, in leadership development, we talk about MBTI, we talk about being extroverts, introverts, we talk about sensing and thinking and feeling and how we absorb information, how we um, talk, communicate information. But actually, do we do that in an education system? We don't. <laughs> we don't. But that is at the point where we are educating our young people or the next generation of the workforce coming through the doors into the labour market on how they should act, behave, think, and do. Yeah, there's, there, there's some really um, interesting, so I was actually involved, um, Rehenna, don't, we haven't talked about this yet, in um, a project called Breaking Bias. Mm -hmm. A few of us, we, we, we tried to get it off the ground as a, a, gro a groundswell movement because of all the things you just spoke about a few moments ago, which is actually, by the time young people even hit probably secondary school, it's too late. Yeah. You know, how do you actually help? new parents look at gender neutral toys you know how do you get oh. how do you help parents be more aware to their language and how they speak and how they act may oh. influence their very young children to be a certain way which by the time they hit six seven or eight has become normal for them so you know do, do, do you see there being a, a real need to go you know as far upstream you know right back to almost you know newborn children if possible to, in terms of education or is that too far uh. do you think I think if we talk about psychological profiles, they, there is a, there, there's that thinking in the MBTI world that your psychological profile gets developed at the age of six and seven. So you already are identifying what you, what you, how you develop, how you think, how you communicate at the age of six and seven. So if that is correct, and that, that's how we, we kind of, I think it's Carl Jung that suggests that is, that is when you identify what your type, and I, I say that with speech marks, um, what your type is, then we need to consider at that developmental stage what we're talking to our, our children about. I'm having the same kind of thinking and reflection as a mother to a six-year-old who's, um, oh, I'm not allowed to call her six anymore, Gary, because she's nearly seven, so I have to make her reference as nearly seven. Um, and uh, she's in year two now. And I really rebelled against the pink and the blue thing. So my favorite color is blue. So I was, I was, I was going to make sure she liked blue and not fall into the pink world. Lo and behold, I didn't have a chance in hell. I'll be honest with you. She, her favorite color is pink, but I've managed to persuade her to purple now because that's a blend of the two. 
it's almost it's very very difficult when you have me media reinforcing something other adults talking about something it's very much you talk about the massive issues we have about gender equality uh, around um, like the stem industries you know the science the technology uh, engineering and mathematics industry where there's not enough women in there that's not to say uh, women can't excel in that field it's just it's just that we don't encourage that whilst we have massive massive gender imbalance in our nursing workforce within the nhs there's more women of course than there are men however i've recently read a, a couple of articles from um male nurses who 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 were told um who were discouraged very much so when they said they wanted to be nurses um because it's not a man thing to do so i, I think we are doing doing a disservice to our, our ourselves our children the workforce our country even because we haven't we're putting stereotypical biases on our young children at a young age and if we're not having those conversations with the, uh, our children even like um so i'm very i'm very particular about the stories delara will read i try to push her away as much away from fairy tales as possible because you've got you know the princess that needs saving by the prince and da 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 and I, I almost don't like that reinforcing that women are helpless and need to be rescued by men or that kind of thinking. So I'm very much, um, there's, a, there's a book called uh, Rebel Girls and uh, Rebel Girls 1 and Rebel Girls 2 that, that talk about women throughout history, women and young girls and girls throughout history that have affected change uh, in some way, shape or form throughout the world. Amazing, inspiring women. Um, who have done um, so much that actually they don't have the voice or you're not you don't hear the voices So I very much want to reinforce that with Delara and I, I still say to her You can choose what you want to do or what you enjoy but have a balanced approach to what it is and think about what you enjoy Not necessarily what other people are telling you to enjoy Yeah, it's, it's fascinating Because you know, we sort of covered the whole system right the way through from newborn children through to yeah. leaders of, of a massive organization and you you sort of do question don't you you know you know it is a system isn't it so it's how do you actually yeah. affect each part of that system so we mm. have to shift this dial somehow and i do know at the primary primary school level there's been some really good work done where they bring in for example um they'll bring in a they're bringing women and men in their regular clothes and then yeah. they'll have the primary school children guess which role that they're going to do and and, you know, there's great, there's videos of this, um, Rihanna, which is amazing. And it shows, okay, lady there, okay, she's going to be a nurse. That man oh. over there is going to be, you know, a fireman or whatever. And they go away. They come back two minutes later wearing the uniforms. Yeah. And they deliberately go back in with a woman that's a firefighter, a man yeah. that's a nurse, etc. And I think that's... It was a documentary, wasn't there? I watched a BBC, a BBC documentary on that. Um, exactly that scenario um, it was earlier this year or last year. Um, I thought I thought that was a, an amazing documentary, and I felt like that should be like something compulsory that all school teachers have to um, have to watch. Because actually, Gary, one of the things they picked up is the language that the school teachers use. So the school teacher that th who thought, you know, as you would, because without feedback, how would you know? That used to call the boys mate and used to call the girls love. Mm. And it's that gender, your gender stereotyping, even with the language that you use. And I know there's some people that think, oh my God, Rahana, you, you're just going too far. We have to mind what we're saying. And I'm just saying, not necessarily, just be mindful that your words are going to have an impact. 
So, you know, and, and the, another thing that they picked up is whenever there was like a physical activity, the teacher would naturally go towards the boys for volunteers first rather than the girls. And again, so what is that kind of unconscious kind of message that you're sending? Um, but yeah, I found that really interesting, that documentary. I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but I, I really, I really do. Um, I think my, my daughter's school probably <laughs> dislike me highly because I'm one of those parents. I'm always in there um, talking to them about the different approaches they take with teaching our young people about different things like very difficult things that as young people we might think we want to shield them from but they actually are exposed to it whether we like it or not so it's better to have an open honest conversation and I would actually translate that into the workplace where it's like the elephant in the room we all know that something's happening we all know that uh, it needs to be talked about but people are too scared to open up the conversation and I, ironically what I said to one um, a manager that I was actually working with um, I sent her an article around white privilege that was actually written by a white woman. And I said to her, even though I've already had that conversation with you, I felt that I also needed to send you something that was written by someone white because you'd probably take on their feedback more than thinking I've got a chip on my shoulder because I'm vain. Which on reflection, I found really, really interesting because I, I didn't actually think about it until I was actually doing it. I was like, oh, why, why do I feel like I need to reinforce what I'm saying with this individual with an article that's written by a white person? And I thought it's because as a BAME individual, sometimes when I'm talking around the inclusion agenda, people sometimes think, well, you're BAME or you've got a chip on your shoulder. But actually, it's, it's not that it's going beyond. And I sometimes feel like allyship, um, Gary, um, which you are doing by, by whether it's intentionally or not by bringing this focus around talking about inclusion and being vulnerable and, you know, talking about those uncomfortableness in the air when you're talking about certain topics becomes more comfortable the more you talk about it. I would love to get into a space where people openly talk about inclusion and say, actually, uh, I don't know much about that. So uh, my direct um, feedback around this is, um, in my current role, I work on the coaching and mentoring registers across the Northwest. And um, someone said back to me that actually the way you join the register, the, the criteria you choose around gender is actually discriminatory for people from the LGBT community. And I was mortified, absolutely mortified, Gary. And I said, oh my God, I didn't realize, please can you help me to shape this in a way that actually talks to that kind of community and doesn't isolate them. Just because I work in the inclusion field doesn't mean I'm an expert in it. I'm learning things every single day. Just because I'm BAME doesn't make me a specialist in any other area. I can talk to you about my lived experience as a BAME individual. I can talk to you as, about my lived experience as a woman, um, as a carer, uh, as a mom. But I can't talk on behalf of other people. That's my lived experience as a concept, which has become quite um, known now, more so now than ever before, I think, as an expert voice in the room, given the credibility to back up what you're trying to say with the stories. And again, I use the, the term stories, not as in fairy tale stories, but people's voices. It's so important. So yeah, I, I try to use um, a lot of examples in whenever I'm talking around inclusion, because people find it hard to actually 
visualize what I'm trying to say. So when I'm, when I'm giving them key examples, they're like, oh, I get it. All right, I understand. But the more we talk about it, the more familiar we get about it and the more we can actually affect change. It's the people that are really struggling with the concept of inclusion or inclusive practices or you know, the fact that there is an issue that they want to bury their head in the sand. They're the individuals that are blocking progress. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what, what I want to, to, to jump to now, actually, um, Rihanna, is just to, um, sorry, Rihanna, just to mention to anybody that's listening, you, you said to me um, a while back, actually, when we had our first conversation, um, because I said about this podcast, I said, it's really, yeah. really interesting how I've set up this, this particular podcast, and no one from my work organization seems to be challenging me per se on it. And you challenged me and said, but Gary, is, is that because, of, you know, basically, potentially because you're white, because you're a man, you know, can you get away with that just to all intents and purposes? And it's yeah. a really, really challenging reflection and one that still sits with me now. And it'd be really interesting if anyone from work is listening to this. But, <laughs> but, but I just think it's, you know, it's, it's really dawned on me. And it dawned on me even more when I, you know, observed the recent Serena Williams um, yes. challenge at the US Open. And I just thought, Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the bottom line is, there's definitely something, and it's making me. You've made me super aware, and I thank you for that. That actually, just because of what my skin color is, and because of maybe where I sit within the organisation in a relatively senior role, is that creating a space that other people that didn't look like me mm. don't have. And it's something I'm still digesting. So I just wanted to say publicly, thank you for that challenge. It's something I'm still, still sort of um, contemplating. <laughs> mm. And it was, it was interesting when you actually said that, uh, I, you actually mentioned that to me, uh, Gary, because that was kind of like, just straight off from what you were saying, I just reflected that, bounced that back at you. And later on, I was thinking, oh, should, should I have said that? Was that the right, right place to say it? And I thought, no, because actually, if nothing else, if that helps you to reflect and think about then actually that's affecting some sort of change within your thinking patterns and makes you, as you just said, more aware of it. If I was an individual that need, wanted to develop a podcast um, around the inclusion agenda and I, I wasn't how I am in the field that I am working in the area, I think I'm quite in a quite, I think I'm in a quite a privileged position because of my job. I can talk quite freely about the inclusion agenda, but I'm thinking about my colleagues in the NHS, some of them who have directly picked up the phone to speak to me after realizing my name is Rehana Begum after realizing I am Bain, they felt comfortable to pick up the phone and speak to me directly about some of their experiences within the NHS. And some of the stories are quite harrowing, I would say, because I, even me, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that's still happening in this day and age within our public sector. And I am very keen around the workforce um, discrimination because for me, if we are treating our workforce not right then that will translate to how we're treating our service users and um, let's not forget Gary that with NHS being yes being one of the biggest employers in, in the country we're also all users of the NHS so when I'm sitting in with the groups of managers and they talk about service users and patients I'm like yes but we are them also so well, let's not forget um, that what we're talking about when it's us and them we actually forget that we're them as well. And I think that is sometimes the language that 
we can fall into an us and them situation kind of thing. So, oh, it's it's not us, it's the underrepresented groups and how can we make them more effective and how can we build their confidence? And actually, this has to take a two-pronged approach, which is, yes, supporting and providing psychological safe environments for these underrepresented groups so they are able to speak about their stories and so we can affect change, but also what's happening in the wider environment and the culture of the organizations or the places that we work in that is probably reinforcing those sort of kind of um, be beliefs and behaviors as well. If, if, if you were in a position to be able to wave a magic wand, what would be the one thing, and if you knew it was going to work, you knew that everyone would adopt it, is there one thing above everything else that you, you would actually do tonight? If you could wave a magic wand and it would actually fix or change something that you know you you believe is uh, the most important. Um, Maybe a bit of a big question. <laughs> that that is quite a big question, um, and I I would say. I would say it's very interesting during the during the summer holidays, Gary. Um, I'm just digressing a little bit, but it'll reflect back to this question. During the summer holidays, I I took my daughter on a kind of museum and planetarium trail across the country so we went to Glasgow went to London we went to different cities and checked out the museums because I'm a bit of a museum geek and um, planetariums because she's very much into space and what we noticed when we went to those museums or um, animal sectors or whatever is that where the, the way you you look at the animal kingdom they interact with one another and it's almost like they see what the roles and responsibilities are rather than, well, I wouldn't know, but I'm, I'm just reflecting on how they work. Like for example, a bee colony, it's everyone has their dedicated roles and responsibility. Once they work together, it's that's what affects the kind of successful system. Mm. They don't necessarily think, oh, you're a bee with a broken wing, so I can't really you know, work with you and stuff. We as human beings, I don't know if it's a natural thing as human beings, but we as human beings, tend to look at difference and change as, as a negative is quite a deficit way of looking at it. So instead of embracing more voice, um, more inclusive voice about, you know, service delivery and stuff, um, we kind of see it as, well, we, we can't have that person talking about this in this environment because they won't understand. But actually having like, for example, um, board meetings that we have, we talk about, how can we engage with patients? Well, get a patient in the board meeting and they'll tell you how to engage with patients. It's almost like, well, we can't have them in the room because we'll have to do this in isolation. And it's, so for me, going back to that question you asked, if there was a magic wand I can wave, it'd probably be like, well, people can't see any differences. People, when they view another human being, will see no difference. It will be the exact same, but then we become this, undiverse world and we should be celebrating diversity so even my response to that question is very i would say very deficit thinking i'd like to think of more of an appreciative way and say actually celebrating diversity where everyone's um difference is seen as a true celebration and a true wonder so me sitting in a room i wouldn't be thinking oh i don't want everybody fame in this room or every south asian women in this room because I'd be like, well, what about the other groups? Why am I I'm not bringing that diverse voice into what I'm trying to do? That is the change. That is the conversation I would like others to have. Um, and it's true celebration. I think that's a very long-winded way of saying that, Carrie. 
Wow. I was talking around it. You, you're not, I don't think it's long-winded at all. I think it's super, it's super powerful because I take your challenge around, is it a bit deficit thinking? And I guess, yeah, to some extent, if you only pick one thing. But I think on the other side, what you've wonderfully articulated, I feel, is this just seeing each other, you know, where we're at without any judgment is, if we could all do that, my God, yeah. how the dial would shift, eh? Yeah, yeah. So no, I, think it's really, I think it's really powerful. I think, you know, so something else I'm hearing a lot about, we've spoken a lot about in this podcast, and I think it is relevant to our conversation today, is the sort of, there's a lot of people talking about the need to be more curious, to be mm. more interested, to be more inquisitive. Mm. I, you know, I wonder what your take is on that in terms of how people can better understand each other or help to sort of break down some of these sort of walls that may exist in people's thinking. Do you, do you think that curiosity piece is part of that journey? I definitely, definitely think so. And it was interesting because I know, I know you dropped me a, a, a direct message uh, earlier on last week, uh, Gary, about, about talking about curiosity. And one of the things I always say to people is um, I'm Muslim. So every Ramadan, I have people coming to me and asking me about, you know, oh, it's okay you don't eat, but at least you can drink. And I'm like, actually, no, I can't eat or drink during daylight hours. But the fact is that they came and asked me the question. I love to answer questions. Um, sometimes people ask me really difficult questions around, you know, the historical development of islam and you know and then you've got the awkward ones that talk about all the terrorisms and stuff like that and it's almost like well if your curiosity is to develop your thinking around having a more inclusive mindset i would more than welcome that conversation and i know there are loads of people out there who would welcome that kind of opportunity to talk about themselves and their lived experience and it's so important but one of the things we cannot do Gary which we can't fall into the trap of is actually welcoming people to talk about their lived experience and then do nothing with it mm -hmm. because that in itself is quite self-defeating so for example one of the things we're doing around the inclusion agenda is um, collecting stories from people from underrepresented groups so that senior leaders who may not recognize the importance of inclusion might hear those stories and it might affect a change okay that's an approach i take on board that approach but we are asking for these people to go deep inside and talk about something very personal which they probably never had the you know psychological permission to talk about previously maybe they felt that it wasn't safe to do so so then how are we making sure that that what they share is then contributing towards effective change because it's very difficult to talk about. So I know I very much talked around some key examples about my daughter, um, but we haven't really gone into the depth of my lived experience. So I haven't told you the first time I experienced racism. I haven't told you how it affected me fundamentally at the age of 11 years old, where I suddenly became coming from East End London, where I was like 99% Bangladeshi community, then suddenly becoming the 1% minority. And the, 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 the kind of backlash that had being the only 12-year-old um, in a new secondary school, the only person with a brown face and a Cockney accent. And uh, 
and and the impact that had on me throughout my life now a lot of people could could have seen that as a kind of negative what i've tried to very much do is turn that into a positive because that's very much shaped my passion around the inclusion agenda it's also shaped how i work with schools and try to embed inclusion whether consciously or sub um, um, consciously or unconsciously whether they realize that i'm talking about inclusion or not um but we haven't gone into the depths of how you know how it feels as um, being the primary caregiver for my mom who's got dementia who doesn't speak english and trying to access services whether that's social care services whether that's health services and being blocked at every single turn because our services are not inclusive in their approach and then the next day going into a meeting and speaking with senior leaders around the inclusion agenda and I'm thinking oh dear god I've just come from becoming first time you know you know frontline service access not inclusive then coming into this space with senior leaders talking about inclusion sometimes I think it's not happening quick enough mm. because the service users such as my mom who is not getting the right service from our public sector organizations because we're not being inclusive so, so, did you feel that you're, can you see the progress from, you know, from seeing on both sides of that with your sort of personal lived experience and your work within the NHS? Can you see that progress is being made? I can see progress is being made in senior leadership. Progress is being made around possibly workforce i can i can see the right connections are being made the right light bulbs are being hit but actually when it translates to impact on service users and frontline services it's not if i'm being really honest it's not happening at this moment in time or it's not happening quick enough so we have been in this role um, for about three years i would say i've uh, worked on the inclusion agenda within this role for the last couple of years it's very slow pace and i understand change takes time i also understand changing mindset and behavior change takes time but for me it's challenging myself and others to say yes we need to take time to change mindsets or behavior but what, at what point do we say actually that's enough now we need to do something that's gonna push forward this agenda quickly because we are disadvantaging our community we are disadvantaging our service users because we're not progressing this agenda quick enough. Just, just, out, of, just out of interest, because I, I, I picked up your point there about mindset as well, and I'm really interested. If there was the, again, it's a bit of a hypothetical question, but if there was the right mindset and the right will, is, because is, a lot of people will look outside, you know, in, you know, they'll look at the news or they'll look on social media and they'll say, oh, there's not enough money, there's not enough time, you know, mm. NHS underfunded, and I'm sure that's true. But is, if, there's, if there was the right mindset right the way through regarding inclusion, do you think things would shift quicker? Definitely. Definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. I, I don't think it's to do with funding. It goes back to what you were saying right at the get-go, Gary, about us being human beings. And actually this challenge from this my inclusion lead here, who said it's all about being a compassionate human being. And I, as I said... I say and I continue to say yes I take on board I almost find it quite ironic that we have to talk about compassionate leadership and being an authentic leadership and being inclusive 
when I, I, I turn around and say, why is it so difficult to behave as a decent human being when you're in a professional setting? Would you do that if you're at home right now? And if you do, then I would say, are you in the right job? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, for, for me, it's actually looking into ourselves and, you know, in OD world, they, they talk very much as self as an instrument, don't they? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. looking into yourself and thinking, actually, am I inclusive in my approach? Because I can't affect changing you, Gary. Likewise, you can't affect changing me. I have to be willing to make that change and reflecting. And especially reflection for me is key. If I can't reflect and think, where, how can I improve myself? And I, I'm a great advocate for continuous lifelong learning. You're always learning. You will never stop learning. You're always learning every single day. And I'm not talking about formal education. I'm talking about life experience and life, lifelong learning. So if we all take the mindset of being curious about lifelong learning, about openness and humbleness to appreciate that actually we will never probably learn everything, but we can uh, adapt and adjust to being better than, uh, than, than we are, then we will affect change quicker. It's this deficit mind frame of not enough money, not enough funding, or why we're we just focusing on race equality and nothing else. It's that kind of thinking rather than thinking, actually, we, ha- we are where we are. What can we do with what we have? And actually, we probably have much more than we think we have. So it's taking that, you know, in, in community development, there's a lot of talk around asset-based community development. So talking about um, what assets do we have in, in our communities that can, uh, you know, change people's behaviours and approach to accessing health and social care. And we talk about social isolation and people accessing, like, for example, the, one example I'll very quickly give you, Gary, is there's an there's a elderly gentleman who rings 999 every night at two or three o'clock in the morning. The hospital, the 999 service know that he, he doesn't need anyone. Uh, he doesn't need an ambulance, but he always says, I have chest pains. The ambulance goes to his house every single day. And it wasn't until they, they actually took a step back and they said, okay, we're gonna send a worker to talk to you that the elderly gentleman said that my wife died last year. Um, I can't have a dog because, um, I used to have a dog, but I can't have one anymore because of my health care needs. And actually, my only interaction is with the ambulance staff when they come and when I get admitted into hospital because I say I've got chest pains. So there's that wider piece around social inclusion. But actually, it goes back to actually who are we as individuals? Who are we as human beings? And I know I've completely gone onto a tangent, but I think that that is that wider thinking there. And if we have the correct mindset and we truly think as you know, decent human beings, we would think, actually, why am I treating this person differently just because they're different from me? No, I, I, I don't think you have any uh, on a tangent at all, to be honest, for me. I think it's really eloquent, very, very beautiful, to be honest, because, you know, if I, if I summarise what we've discussed so far, it really is just this really human piece, reflect, know that you don't always know, always be yeah. curious, and just, and I, I really take your point as well, ask the question. If someone's interested to learn more about, you know, whether it's cultural, whether it's religious, whether it's, they've got a question to ask, you'll you'll, you'll answer it as best you can. I think it's a powerful message. Really powerful. I would, I would, I would welcome, I would welcome people to ask me the question because I think, and it's the same, it's the same kind of advice I give my daughter. 
um you know as a six-year-old she talks non-stop i'm sure if there was like a, a competition for a little girl talking for as long as she did she'd probably win it hands down <laughs> and she's uh, she's continuously asking questions and i'm sure there's parents all over the country whoever's listening in who groan and say oh please sometimes we just don't want them to ask the questions but actually it's that inquisitive mindset that we had as children where we're continuously asking questions. That's the, the mindset we need to develop as adults because we kind of phase that out about asking questions, either being scared to ask questions or being afraid to actually, if we ask questions, then that will show that we, 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 we don't know the answers or we have to come across like we know everything. Actually not. And going back to that piece about being vulnerable, actually, um, I take on board people turn I, I respect people more when they turn around to me and say actually Rahan I don't I, I don't I have no idea what you're talking about there please I'd like to learn a bit more and I'd be like yeah hands down I don't know everything but I'll tell you what I know you tell me what you know and we'll develop each other brilliant 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 look I, I'd love to talk to you for another hour but I've realized we're up to 55 minutes already <laughs> yes yes and I had to go and pick up the little one as well which, which is amazing how, how can people if people want to sort of follow up the conversation with you maybe ask you a question and what's yeah. the best way they can reach you? Sort of they, can, they can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, but also, um, I suppose, I'm just conscious that I'm moving roles, so I don't want to give out my email address at this moment in time. But yeah, for Twitter might be the best way to contact me at this moment in time. Great. Well, I'll make sure I add that to, I'll make sure I add that to the show notes for this podcast. And look, yeah. I think it's been an absolute joy. And thank you so much for educating me. Um, today as well and I hope you know I'm pretty sure that there'll be a number of people whether we hear from them or not that will take something away from this discussion fantastic and thank you very much again Gary for inviting me it's not been cool have a lovely evening you too bye take care bye-bye Hi there, just Gary Turner wrapping up this absolutely awesome podcast um, with Rahena Begum. So, so many takeaways, um, but I don't want to to drag on and, and dilute the amazing messaging of, of Rahena. But the ones that jumped out to me the most was this. We're talking about being hu compassionate human beings um, more and more, but the dial isn't being moved. We need to be more direct. And I thought it was a really fair challenge. Um, uh, Bye-bye, Rehenna. You know, I'd like to think that I'm trying to do that in my own small way with this podcast and other things. But, you know, can I be doing more? Can you be doing more as the listener? You know, how can you go and ask a question of someone that comes from a, um, a more excluded group of society and actually ask, you know, how is it for them? You know, do we understand what it means um, to, to live with a disability or for someone to come from a minority group? You know, how can we actually build that muscle of, a, a, of vulnerability, but also of interest and curiosity? to try and understand because the more the un more we understand the more naturally inclusive we will be i also enjoyed hearing um Rihanna talk about is that it's the reflection that will affect the change not me telling them to change i think that's really powerful because again with the pace of the world you know we all have the same amount of time although we have different things that we're doing during the day but reflection thinking listening taking time out self-care these just things are not prioritized by by the world of work it's absolutely criminal really to be honest so i put a challenge out there again on this podcast for anybody listening what are you going to do differently following here in this podcast what one thing can you do after you um, close this particular podcast to go and help somebody else or ideally help yourself to create more space to reflect more more create 
uh, create more space to think and to make a more positive impact with the next 20 minutes straight after listening to this podcast. I think a really powerful um, message as well is around that we don't talk about inclusion enough at school. Um, Rehenna's doing that through her enterprise advisor role um, with, within her local school. But are we talking about inclusion enough at those early years? And this is a really common thread, you know, whether we're talking about bias, whether we're talking about inclusion, whether we're talking about collaboration, whether we're talking about being curious. You know, it, it seems to me from what I see and certainly my experience of my human experience to date is that we're just, the, you know, the model is bust. You know, the capitalist model is broken. There you go, I'm saying it. You know, there's just too much focus on just the numbers and the outputs and not enough about the human being. I think this this humanity message is coming through loud and clear to me with with every podcast that uh, that I'm grateful to be part of. And then I also enjoyed um, Rehenna's humility. You know, she loves to learn every day, and it's really funny because that's part of my own personal purpose is to learn every day. And but that takes vulnerability. That takes a desire to not always be right, a desire to want to understand somebody else's perspective, to put your ego in a box, and deeply listen to somebody else's point of view. So, yeah, there's just so, so much in this podcast. You know, I've not had the opportunity to meet Rihanna yet, but I'm going to go out of my way to, to try and do that because Rihanna is an inspiration, not just because of her background, not just because of how she's come across on this podcast, but just, just the energy and the belief and the passion and the drive she's got to try and make sure that this world does become more inclusive is, is an absolute wonder to behold. And I'm really grateful that I had this uh, opportunity to speak with her and um, I hope that you do reach out to her. Um, you can find ways to contact her in the show notes. Um, but yeah, really grateful to have, have had this time with her today. Thank you.